Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wimbledon preview special at Tennis with an Accent. Uh, I don't know, honestly, last time when I had these two gentlemen on the show, very excited, uh, in-house consultants and good friends. Uh, no surprises, Andrew Burton and Murta Tunga. Welcome to the show, guys. It's, it's going to be an absolute blast. And, and how are you both doing? Delighted to be here, Sakit. Thank you for uh, inviting us. Yeah, really Thanks. pleased and uh, good, good to be in the same uh, electronic room with Mert again. There you go. Uh, feeling is very mutual. So Mert, uh, as taking this leaf out of what Andrew said, uh, you've been coaching. We all know that you appeared on a podcast with Chris Otto uh, in mid-April, which is a great listen if anyone hasn't listened to it yet. Uh, just give us your little bit of a Wimbledon qualifying experience. Ipek was one of your charges, played on grass for the first time. How was that experience? How was the grass playing? And, you know, some recollection before we get into the draw and some of the burning yeah. questions. Sure. I mean, very quickly, um, many people know, but there, there might still be some people who do not know this. But, uh, you know, uh, Wimbledon qualifying is not played at Wimbledon. It's played at Roehampton course, which are, in other words, Ipek never got to see Wimbledon. She came to play Wimbledon qualifying, but she, you know, the, it was it was at Roehampton. So there's that experience. She that was not the same at Roland Garros. You know, she was we were at Roland Garros when she played qualifying, but here it's, she didn't get to see Wimbledon. However, it was her the first time in her life that she played on grass. And uh, when when we arrived on uh, and if anybody if you can ask anyone in the business, the first day or two that you try to play on grass, you're like a fish out of water. And uh, the ball doesn't bounce high. You, you're never ready. You're, you always find yourself reaching forward because the, the, the ball uh, doesn't bounce high or doesn't come. To the, you, you just have to move in all the time. You have to keep the knees bent. You cannot slide like you did just a week or two ago on, on clay. And, uh, and, and to top that, uh, we arrived. And on Saturday and Sunday, it was rainy, misty, windy. Grass was slippery. She was afraid she was going to, you know, twist her ankle or get or, or get injured. So we had kind of a broken uh, practice sessions. You know, we practiced 20 minutes, rank came, then another 15 minutes later and so forth. So to put it bluntly, it was a horrible experience the first couple of days. She didn't know what what was happening. Then on Monday, we had a, we were able to and, and, and Roe Hampton's practice courts, by the way, not match course, practice courts are twice as worse. Okay. Uh, the, the, the grass is taller, bad bounces all over the place. It's, uh, you, you, know, you can ask any player, they'll tell you. But, uh, but then on the third day, we were able to practice at Southlands Club, where, where they have nicer grass course, and it was a sunny day. So she had a fairly good day on that. Considering that, on that fourth day when she went out to play her match, I thought she played very well. She played very well. And uh, uh, so we, for us, this, this was an experience. We didn't do a full... Uh, grass court preparation for it. In other words, playing grass court events leading up to it because, because there were no points at Wimbledon. And we thought that uh, she would be better off spending those weeks playing more clay court tournaments where she has proven herself. And, uh, and, and it worked. It, we, you know, she got another, uh, she reached another final of a 60K and she moved up another 25 or so ranking points up to 160s from 190s. So, um, you know, it was the right plan for us. And plus on top of that, she got to uh, experience Wimbledon grass course on which on, on a surface that I feel she can play. But uh, this, the, the, the fact that there were no points at Wimbledon, the fact that it was her first time on grass, we thought instead of gambling, uh, we would, we would you know, stick with clay courts and then just uh, 
prepare for Wimbledon alone and then play that just so she gets the experience and we moved on. Yeah. Andrew, you want to say something about no points at Wimbledon? I know we've talked about it previously, maybe on a, on a Twitter spaces, but uh, there's a lot going on, you know, in this Wimbledon politically and what are the repercussions and all the governing bodies have decided. And I'm sure Murat has a lot to say. Maybe you both echo each other, but no points. Does it make sense, Andrew? And more importantly, does this make this Wimbledon less important in the grand scheme of things? Or 25 years from now, the ladies' champion and the men's champion will still be called Wimbledon champion, like Andy Murray had said. So a lot to unpack there. What are your views? Yeah, I think that five years, 10 years from now, whoever lifts the trophy on the gentlemen's or the ladies' side will still know who they who they were. Um, the the question that I think that, that that we've raised before is that everything at the moment seems to be extremely ad hoc uh, and leading into the pandemic, there was some sense of the the various bodies beginning to sort of feel out a way to get through the 2020s with some degree more coordination. But now things seem even more disorganized than than before. Um, That I'm not convinced that the Wimbledon actions were done as a consensus with the, the other Grand Slams, let alone the ITF the WTA and the ATP. So it's going to be, it's going to be an odd Wimbledon, um, you know, and and we haven't even got into the, uh, the missing players, several of which would potentially on, on both sides of the draw been in competition quite likely at the later stages of the tournament. So, uh, you know, I, I actually know who won in in 1973, the last time there was a Wimbledon that was as uh, discombobulated as this one. Um, But, um, you know, it it, it certainly twisted things around. And I think for the long-term health of the sport, the thing that we saw in Australia with Djokovic being denied the chance to participate in that tournament then the way that things have turned out in Wimbledon, there's the possibility now that Djokovic may not play the US Open uh, because of vaccination requirements to enter the United States. That could change in the next few months or so. But there's, there's, there's really the sense that, that tennis doesn't have it act together. Absolutely. So, Mar, just here a bit on rankings, right? You talked about uh, why, since Wimbledon didn't have ranking points, this elaborate you know, how rankings are so important, right? At every uh, aspect of the game, like like your charge, Epec is trying to gain, you know, ascend with the ranking. She's trying to get entry into like qualifying. Next would be hopefully main draws. And uh, use the example of uh, when we see, oh, this person is going to be number one or was number one, like a Dinara Safina, but she never won a slam. I have always maintained that becoming number one is much harder than winning grand slams. I was looking at some statistic uh, when I was visiting my dad at the hospital. And since, I think, 1973, there was a statistic, I think 78 or 80-something men have won slams and only 28 or 29 have become number one. So sometime, use the ranking, uh, how important it is to each player. And do we shortchange top 10, top uh, and number one compared to like winning Wimbledon or US Open? 
Yeah, we, we do. And this is once again, the pr uh, product of 21st century at the turn of the century when, uh, when, uh, you know, winning a major became the most important measure of, uh, of greatness and uh, winning a major is wonderful. And it's, and it's definitely one of the greatest accomplishments, but uh, I agree that uh, maintaining, becoming number one and, and staying there is a tougher accomplishment because it requires a long-term consistency over different surfaces against vast number of players. Whereas you can go on a roll in a major and win seven matches and have that in your pocket. Nobody can take that away from you. You know, you can, uh, you can say I won Wimbledon, US Open, Australian Open or French Open at a certain date. No one can take that away from you. It's a great honor, but it's also a great honor to say I was number one at, at a certain, certain date. And uh, no, to me, uh, as someone who's been inside as a, for, for a long time, I would, I, would, I would rank becoming number one as a tougher accomplishment than, uh, than winning a major. If we're gonna compare winning several majors versus becoming number one, then, then, then I will go with several majors. But if, you're, if we're talking about one major and becoming number one, then for me, it's, it's a clear answer. Becoming number one is much tougher. We just talked about uh, your player, Ipek, uh, playing qualifiers at Wimbledon. And Emma Raducanu was ranked roughly where Ipek is now, coming through qualifiers Correct. at the US Open and, and then going all the way to play against a player ranked in the 70s herself, Leila Fernandez, and to win the US Open without dropping a, a set. Um, you know, going back in time, you had Yelena Ostapenko winning the French Open. Uh, the men's side has been a little bit more stable for a while, for obvious reasons, but you still have Marin Cilic. Um, and then before him, Stan Wawrinka coming out, you know, not out of nowhere, but, uh, you know, basically getting hot at the right time. Yeah. So I and think take a guy right like, uh, you know, to go a little bit further back, to take a guy like Albert Costa, who won a French Open, great accomplishment, but I don't think Albert Costa would dream of, ever saw him becoming number one in the world in his dreams, you know, so, um, yeah. But to your point, uh, Mert, and I'm sure Andrew would agree, one slam and number one is kind of a comparison that we say one, number one is hard, but if you win several slam, there's a good chance you will touch the number one ranking because unless you, and you span like, you know, five year difference or something. And uh, one more thing before we get into the draw. So Mert, just give us an insight, you know, like when you plan tournaments, right? you look at travel, you look at points, just give all the fans who already know how important the tennis players are playing for money and ranking points, but just give us, a, you know, what goes in planning, like, you know, when ranking points are there, you know, it's a big, it's a big factor, right? How you move up in the ranks, right? Because we've talked about what is your next plan and so we don't plan that, that much in advance. So just give us a tidbit, anyone who's listening, that how important are ranking points? We take them for granted, because we just focus with the top players, but that's a way to make a living and move, move ahead. Sure. Well, for example, uh, IPEC was ranked um, in the 250s prior to about a month prior to, um, to Roland Garros. And we had to decide, we had to decide how we can possibly gain some points enough to, make, to, to get to the point to 20s, 230s, where, we almost, where we're on the other side of the fence, on the good side of the fence, for uh, for playing Roland Garros qualifying, and you know that for her it would it was going to be her first qualify uh, slam participation ever. We're talking about a person who was ranked outside top five hundred, 
13 or 14 months ago. So for her, it's, it's a big dream, uh, possibly coming true. We decided, to, we decided to enter Bogota, Colombia, the WTA tournament in qualifying. Saki, we took the plane not knowing that she made the qualifying. She was close. She was the, one of the top alternates. And we, we, we thought she would get in. But when we actually boarded the plane, we did not know for sure that she was in. When we boarded the plane, we were two or three hours into our flight and another player texted Ipek. We had Wi-Fi in the flight saying, congrats, you got in. And that's how we knew she got in. And we arrived and that's where she went. She won two matches, beat two seeded players, went into the main draw, won her first round and lost in the second round to the top seed. And with those points, she went up to 223. She got into French Open. And then from there, we went, we went to play a 25K in Boston, in Boston Sweden, uh, where, uh, you know, where we felt like 25Ks, it's not that they're, they're actually quite tough tournaments. Uh, uh, right now, there's a 25K going on where I am in Portugal, and Diachenko is the top seed, 112th player in the world. But uh, the, to make a long story short, we went and she won that tournament at 25K, which when she won that tournament, that was worth more points than even what she got in Bogota. She moved up to 190. And then the, what I just told you just a second ago about making the decision to play, to prepare for a grass court season, or do we play a clay court tournament, a couple of clay court tournaments where she has proven herself and where we can grab points. And for us, the preference was not to play the grass court season because we don't know how Ipek has never played on grass court. It was going to be a roll of the dice. For what? To prepare for Wimbledon where, there's, where there are no points? So we took the route of playing two clay court tournaments instead, an ITF 60 tournament in Romania, where, where, where uh, our gamble paid off. She went to the finals and she moved, up from one, she moved up from 190 to 166. And this is the kind of planning that you have to do all the time. Of course, you have to keep in mind if you're going to play two tournaments in a row, uh, from the first tournament that you're playing, if your player goes to the semis or finals, is there a direct flight to the next tournament? Because you're going to have one day in between to travel before you play the first round of the next tournament. Do, do, are you going to be able to fly from, I don't know, Prague to Barcelona directly? Or do you have to transfer in somewhere in Germany, uh, which adds another three or four hours to the flight? So you try to pick the tournament where you can have a direct flight so you have less time in the air and you can arrive there on time and rest. And, you know, these are the kind of decisions that, uh, that, so, go, into, uh, that go into making decisions of, of making the schedule. I'm talking for us. I don't think top 30, 40 players have this problem. They, no, they I think they have enough points. They're, 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 you know, their priorities might be different. But when, sure. you're, when you're talking about between 150 and 190, you're talking about, do I go to an ITF 60, 80K? Or do I go to a WTA qualifier? So does Ipek have a have a choice? Like if she goes deep in week one, so can she request a Tuesday start, even if she's not seated? Like I'm sure most famous players can do in a 250. They, does she have the do. flexibility? They do. She, she, we we can request that, and it usually gets granted. But even then, you know, just to give the example that I just gave, she went to the finals in Romania. She played on Sunday. And we had a direct flight for the next tournament to Austria, which got canceled, by the way, because of the, the airport uh, problems in Europe. It got canceled and we had to take a transfer flight. We ended up arriving. So 
yes, she got the Tuesday start instead of Monday, but still we spent all of Monday traveling. So yes, you can request a second sec if the two round if the first round is played over two days, which it is normally. You can request, and the tournament director will grant you that. But but you know that's that 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 only helps so far, so much. That's really good food for thought, and probably will bring you and your pack on a podcast later in the season to talk more in depth. Uh, all right, so I'll give the floor to Andrew. Andrew, if you look at the men's draw, uh, do you have a sheet like you know any names that stand out as favorites or contenders? Are there, you know, besides Djokovic and Nadal? Uh, I mean, what's your list look like? I don't want to give names, but I think Djokovic appears on every list. So, Yeah. So um, when we were kicking around the agenda for this podcast, you suggested to, to Mert and me that we come up with, with our top five names. And I think neither <laughs> Mert nor I could get to five. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's basically one and two, then three and four, for me at least. And then it, it, it's kind of like the field. So I'm going to add my two names and we'll see if they're the same. I'm going to bet at least one of them is the same, but we'll see if, uh, if my fourth is the same as, as Mert's fourth. So I have Berrettini behind uh, Djokovic and Nadal. And then I have Hubert Hurkacz as, as my number four player who I think is, is in with a shot. And then, then you get to the field. Mert? I, I echo exactly what uh, Andrew just said, except, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. We didn't collaborate. We, you know, there, mm. there weren't any Twitter DMs going out before this, but uh, no, I was, uh, you know, I was looking over the draw. I was looking over the, the first matches that the, the players were playing, but each of those four players is, uh, you know, seeded to make the quarterfinals. They're, they're, they've got a top eight seed. If you if you pick the four players who are seeded to make the quarterfinals, you know, and to a certain extent we can, you know, perhaps kick those guys around a little bit. So Alcaraz is seeded uh, in the Djokovic quarter. Uh, he's got an interesting path. He's got uh, Jan Lennart Struff in the first round. He's seeded to take on Oscar Otter, who's who's been doing quite well on grass recently, and then possibly uh, John Isner or uh, Yannick Sinner is is in his section of the draw. I think also Andy Murray. So that's that you know that's a tasty section of the draw. And uh, my feelings, as you know, about Alcaraz is I you know I think his ceiling is almost unlimited. But to have him winning Wimbledon this year, that, that would be a, a, a heck of a feat, you know, even more perhaps than Nadal winning Roland Garros um, in 2005. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, uh, yeah, Andrew, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, that also Alcaraz has very little experience playing on grass, you know, in terms of just, just matches. I mean, I don't know how many matches he's played in the last... Uh, I think he's, he's got two grass court matches in the last two years. I'm not sure. Maybe. But, uh, yeah, very, very little. And, uh, you know, another player on that section is Yannick Sinner, who's, uh, who's lost his last six matches on grass. So it's, it's a very, um, it's very hard to, I mean, this is actually not a bad draw for Mary. You know, and the, the, mm-hmm. although this is, although when you look at the names, there are some good names there. There's Talon Greek sport there, for example, who's an informed player, but, uh, I don't want to, you know, branch the conversation out too much. You ask for contenders. 
And we're talking about someone to win seven matches in a row to, to win the tournament. And just like Andrew said, I just don't see anybody doing that outside of those four names. I think and you both have been fairly consistent whenever I picked your brains and DMs or other mediums of chat. You don't really get excited. You're like, you know, you're like the whole kind of guys like the stock market. You don't go with the wind. Like, you know, sometimes I'll say, and Mert, this guy is good. And same thing I get with Andrew, you know, like very stable. So I'm not surprised that you picked uh, the four players, but you both didn't mention Felix Ojiali-Asim. Any reason or you think he hasn't made enough no. progress to be mentioned as a fifth guy or... No, I, I, I haven't picked him for the same reason that I didn't pick Marin Cilic uh, and for the same reason that I didn't pick Cameron Norrie. These are even Nick Kyrgios. These are players who can make a splash for one or two matches. I just don't think they can win the, the title. Okay. And, and, and suppose, you know, let, I, would, I would be quite astonished if Casper uh, Ruud uh, made it to the final. I would just be astonished about that. Um, if Felix made it to the final, I wouldn't be astonished, but I would be surprised. And the Felix at the moment is, is, is kind of like where Sasha Zverev was a couple of years ago, a, a player who can trouble or beat really strong opponents on the day, but just hasn't learned how to automatically write his name into the quarterfinal or the semifinal spot. And, you know, the takeaway, um, the, the two top seeds, Djokovic and Nadal, and actually Zverev and Medvedev would have been seeded one and two if um, Zverev hadn't gotten injured and if you hadn't had the edict against Russian and Belarusian players that have kept Medvedev out of the, uh, out of the tournament. But Djokovic and Nadal... If they lose before the quarterfinal, it will be a surprise. Now, Djokovic yes. hasn't had any warm-up tournaments. Neither has Nadal. Um, you know, they both played exhibition matches, but not warm-up tournaments. Um, Nadal, you know, you're, he's, he's had the treatment on his foot. He's had this kind of experimental treatment on his foot. Um, that he said he was going to, to test out before he committed to playing Wimbledon. He has committed to playing Wimbledon. But you know, I would be surprised if, you know, if, if Marin Cilic comes up against Nadal, he's in his section, and, and beats Nadal, it wouldn't be the greatest upset in the history of tennis. But I'd still pencil Nadal in to get to the quarterfinal. Oji Aliassim is seeded to get to the quarterfinal, but I'm not writing his name in in ink and saying, yeah, that you you know you can bank on Felix showing up there. And I would uh, I would also oh sorry go ahead go on, Andrew sorry go on there. No no what I was going to say I, I also even if Felix was say an outside contender he's got a very tough draw. He has to play Maxim Cressy first round mm -hmm. an informed player who's a grass court player. If he beats him, he's going to play. He's going to, he probably will have to play Jack Sock, who's also in, coming back into form. He's, he won't be an easy, uh, easy match. Then he's got Dan Evans on the way, and uh, and then he's got some uh, the Holger Rune or Taylor Fritz. That's all before he even gets to the quarterfinals. That's a he's got the toughest draw out of the top eight seeds, in my opinion, for the first week. Yeah, and Fritz no, is, is, is a is a potential dark horse, I think. 
No, he, he is. Yeah, he, uh, he came good this week, played a good final uh, this week. Uh, didn't have the greatest of starts, I think, earlier in grass, but you're right. So let me ask you both. Uh, Andrew mentioned with Medvedev Zverev, and a lot of people are saying this year's field is weak. So my counter-argument is both Zverev and Medvedev really haven't done much at Wimbledon. So would their presence have made this draw deeper, or that's just like a way of forcing a conversation? Because they really haven't made second week of Wimbledon between the two of them. I, considering what Medvedev has done the last two weeks, I think it would have made it more interesting and deeper, yes. And uh, Zverev, I think, is a, is a second-week player in any slam, potentially. So, yes, I think it would have made the field deeper. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that two years ago, I, I, for Zverev in particular, he, he, he tends to play four or five-set matches in the first three rounds and and that can make it, it harder for him to have the full tank that you you'd hope that he would have to he's got the nishikori to disease the, andrew is what's that, that what you're saying he's got the nishikori, nishikori disease. disease yeah uh i mean this is what again you know when you go back to the the heyday of the big four what they were able to do was You'd, you'd get to the round of 16 and they'd have dropped a set between them. No, you're right. I think we've talked about Zverev and Nishikori and the scenic routes they have taken in the past and it does take a toll. So Novak Djokovic right, uh, has, hasn't lost at Wimbledon since I think the last proper finish match since he lost to Sam Querrey in 2016. And then he didn't finish due to injury against Burdick. And then he's won the last three editions that he's played. So Andrew, you can go first. How's his draw? I mean, he has Riley Opelka in the draw, uh, if that meeting materializes. Djokovic usually doesn't play a Wimbledon warm-up for some time and has been pretty successful. Uh, anyone uh, in this path who can pro- potentially trouble him or challenge him all the way to semifinals, so what names stand out? Well, you mentioned Apelka. I mean, his his first seeded opponent uh, is going to be Mir Mirkatmanovic, um, who he's played a few times, and and uh, and I don't think he's 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 going to have too much trouble there. Kokinakis potentially second round opponent. He's got Quan as a first round opponent. Um, you know, Pelka is is the first name that 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 really stands out. Um, I don't know how well Pelka moves on grass. He moves quite well for a big lad on the on the hard courts. I just don't know how well he moves on grass. And you know, obviously he can serve his way out of a tree. Uh, but you're 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 really picking Novak. You know, I'm I'm writing Novak's name in in ink um, for the the quarterfinals. I'm I'm still not entirely sure that that he's back to the the level that he was in 2021, uh, and that's partly because he hasn't played nearly as much. Uh, we just don't have a huge database to to, to draw on. But he's he just he turns up in, in in Grand Slams. He's you know apart from the time when he was sort of kind of off in the wilderness in the 2017 2018 period that you know he's 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 been there the the loss of Marian Vida as as coach I, I still think it'll be interesting to see um you know a couple of years from now how much that that affected his his you know long term as he moves into his mid 30s 
he's now uh, 35 years old. Um, so that's, you know, he's uh, approaching tennis middle age, even for the, the, the 2020s. But no, I'm, uh, I am I would be surprised not to see Novak uh, appearing in a quarterfinal. I swear, Andrea and I didn't talk before the podcast, but yes, I pretty much agree with everything you said right there too. And uh, the, by the way, Opelka doesn't have a very good grass court record, surprisingly. So uh, yeah, I don't see I don't see Djokovic. Um, I, I I actually penciled in Djokovic without a doubt in my mind all the way to the semifinals. There's a Dutch player who got a wild card. He won the tournament. Her talking balls, right? I don't know how to pronounce his name, which is shame on me. So ben he's Reitoven. someone who. Yeah. Thank you. So he's someone who impressed a lot of tennis folks, and I think as a result, I think uh, the Holland Club gave him a wild card. Uh, have you both seen him play a little bit? Uh, I mean, if there are any impressions that he created on that, you know, that week that he won the 250 event. Oh, he looked great that week. Uh, I, I saw I saw a match and a half and uh, he looked great. But so did Roberto Caratero in 1996 Hamburg Open. And uh, <laughs> this, but, but, you know, I mean, the, the guy had never won a tour, tour match before right. uh, that week. So I, I don't know. Yeah, that, he looked great that week, but. Is that who we're going to, you know, let's wait and see. You know. you know, great, great for the Dutch to have a home lad, you know, show up and, uh, you know, make it all the way through the final. Of course. Uh, I mean, he beat well. he? he sustains it. Yeah, yeah he beat Medvedev, one and four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, play, he played very well. I mean, he, he played like a champ that week. I, it's just not enough to go on. But uh, I, would, I would love it if he creates a splash here too. And we're surprised that the uh, Oregon Club gave him a wild card. I mean, they're they're not famous for some of these actions, and this was just for the charity case, or this was just like, okay, who knows? This could be the next Boris Becker. I mean, who knows? So, well, are you he's, surprised at that? He's in his mid twenties, isn't he? I mean, he's you yeah, know, he's, he's 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 not a nineteen year old. No, no, just, no, no teenager. <laughs> he's he's been he, he's been around for a while. He reminds me a little bit of. There was Martin, a, a, a British lad who was quite <laughs> chunky who who ended up playing Federer in the in the third round or so and they, oh, they had Willis. Fun with that. Yeah, Willis. Yes. All right. So so no expectation. Let's see how he plays. So looking Andrew already talked about Alcaraz and Mert, you also mentioned. Is there anyone else that can prevent the Djokovic Alcaraz uh, quarterfinal from happening? Oscar Ote is one name that Andrew mentioned. And uh, Yes. Otto is, Otto is a name. And, you know, this is actually, this is going to depend less on other players than on, on Alcaraz himself. You know, nobody knows. I, I can't really say that just because Alcaraz only played two grass court matches in so long and he doesn't have any, that he won't do well. I can't say that for, uh, for a fact. You know, it's very possible that he comes out and plays, you know, hugs, uh, embraces grass court challenge and knocks the ball out of the court from the baseline, playing aggressive and ends up going on a huge run. It, it's very possible. In fact, I'd love to see that. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 there are names who can bother him. Obviously, he's in a loaded section of the draw, in my opinion. I mean, it's, it's not an easy draw. He doesn't have as tough a draw as uh, Felix, but, uh, but he does have to face, you know, the, the, he might have to face Murray, even if, even if he does beat Ote. Oscar Otto was an informed player. And uh, so he's got to play informed players too. Uh, but at the same time, I think he will, uh, if he can trans, if he can trans, translate his game, his regular game 
onto grass course. I, I just I just hope that he doesn't try to change too much just because he's mm. playing on grass. His game is actually fairly suited to play on grass also. Yes, he hits a lot of top spin, so that might not have as much effect on grass, but he takes the ball early. He moves very well, and he's not afraid to move inside the baseline to hit shots. These are all qualities that you look for um, on, a, on a grass court tennis player. So, yeah, uh, there is there's the potential of him going on a surprisingly good run, and then we end up seeing a wonderful Djokovic-Alcaraz quarterfinal. Yeah. So I had uh, someone who was monitoring me for whether I was saying nice things about Rafael Nadal in uh, one of the last podcasts that I was on. And uh, so I don't know if uh, she'll ding me for this, but I remember Federer saying that in 2006, when he actually played Nadal in the final, that Nadal didn't really know what he was doing on a grass court. But then by 2007, and obviously the, the classic match in 2008, although both of those were five setters, Nadal really had, had learned how to play on a grass court. So, you know, I'm seeing some of this as the, the, the Alcaraz education, you know, two or three years from now, um, who knows what, what he's going to be doing so long as he's healthy and he, he still enjoys playing, he'll probably have learned a thing or two and on all the surfaces. But this year it, it's just, um, yeah, you know, the, write the name in pencil, write the name in ink. Um, you could have a Djokovic-Murray quarterfinal, which I'm sure the Brits would get up for and Novak would beat him 4-2-2 two, and two, and there you go. Mm. No, that's a very interesting observation. <laughs> uh, not the Murray one, but uh, Nadal, you know, adjusting to grass because look, let's look at this way. Nobody trains in grass across like all the, I think, budding players. Ipek is a classic example. She never played on grass. So the grass season is five weeks uh, Wimbledon included. So it's, it's going to be interesting how the young Alcaraz and other players learn to play like the Yannick centers of the world because it's still a grand slam, still offers a lot of points, not this year. And yeah, uh, gone are the days when people are naturals on the grass. So, so Mert, uh, and Andrew can second. You both mentioned Hubi Herkac, you know, had an impressive week in Hala taking out uh, Daniel Medvedev and informed Nick Kyrgios. So pretty likely candidate to go at least to the semis. And he's clubbed with Kasper Ruud, who has a very workable or maybe up for grabs 16, because you can't pick a name. PCB has not, not won a match, uh, Karina Bursa, that is. And Francis Tiafo lives somewhere in a lower section, but it's fair to say it's her coach quarter to lose. You both have said that, so Mert, uh, fire away. Yeah, Ruud has, in my opinion, the, uh, the safest route to the quarterfinals out of the top eight seats. His section is... Uh, is less loaded than others. Or to the airport. So, yeah, and, and this is a, by the way, this is a fantastic opportunity for Francis TFO here in this uh, section to to do to perhaps go far. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Horkash doesn't have a very easy draw himself either. To be honest, He's, you know, he might end up playing Manorino, who can be a bomb on uh, the the dangerous bomb on the grass. He he would have to play Cameron Nori possibly, who's who's no the pouch. And uh, and then he's going to have to then he's going to have to take on Root or Tiafoy or possibly Goffin. I, mean, I don't know, you know, whoever may come from there. But um, but I still see Horkac going to the semis here. Or your favorite player, Dimitrov. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, <laughs> I would love I would love in this case to be wrong and for Dimitrov to actually go all the way to the. You know, Dimitrov can play on grass too. It's it's just. Yep. He plays. He plays one. Yeah, he plays one or two great matches, and then and then he either gets injured, 
or he doesn't he doesn't show up for the next match. So uh, I'm uh, I'm over trying to be optimistic and picking him. But yes, I'd love I'd love to I'd love to see that. I, I hope we get we're talking about ten days. And you, you asked should, me about Dimitrov, uh, Dimitrov playing in the quarterfinals. So you and Matt have shown more faith in Dimitrov than anyone, at least I know. <laughs> and, and, and keep up the faith because he does come up with the goods every now and then. Andrew, yeah. so Hubi Herkaj is a fourth guy. I mean, what impressed you in his run in Hala? And you know, like just explain why is he the pick? What are the tools that you know he can you know that take him to another Wimbledon semis like he did last year? Uh, uh, yeah, I'd say it's balance. Um, that he's he's developed a game that doesn't really have obvious weaknesses to it. He's very comfortable at the net. He's probably got some of the the softest hands uh, of you know any of the 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 top players um, who are, who aren't you know seasoned veterans. Um, so I think he's he's just got the the, the right toolkit. He's been there before. Um, you know, semi-finalist last year, so uh, would anticipate him, uh, you know, getting at least to a quarterfinal and, and potentially beyond. And you know, obviously, one of the four people that that I think are likeliest to win the tournament. And when we say likeliest to win the tournament, I don't, you know, we're not back in the you know, the halcyon era of the big four where you'd say, okay, if it was Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Murray, there's a 90% chance that one of those four are going to win it. You know, you might say mm, 75% 70 to 75% chance that it would be one of those four. And then, you know, pass, pass the rest of it out among the field. Um, so... Uh, I think the the absence of of Medvedev and Zverev, uh, in particular, I'm not convinced that that Rublev or Hachanov is, is, is are, are, are real uh, you know, people that you'd be saying likely semi-finalists. That means that um, I think it makes it easier to to pencil in Djokovic and Nadal for the the kind of semi-final stage. Absolutely. No, I mean, Hobi Harkach is, is a good watch for sure. So balance is a great word that you uh, mentioned because sometimes we just look at four, forehands and backhands, but in cross, I think your balance is great. So Matteo Berrettini, Mert, is the next guy I want to ask you both to weigh in. So Mert, you can go first. And a lot of people, not that I know a lot of tennis, but I always thought like we live in an era when you can't have a weak shot and Berrettini's backhand uh, to me, is still relatively weak, a world-class shot. If you look at, you know, even his uh, young peers, not like the big three. If you, if you look at Medvedev or Zverev or Sitsipas, you know, Maratini's backhand kind of does stand out. But then on the other hand, the forehand and the serve and the slice, and he comes to the net, there are a lot of ingredients. So why, Mert, are you a believer that he can win Wimbledon? Uh, I know he's your third guy behind Rafael Novak, a big gap, but... As a coach, I mean, have you seen strides from last year's final or the field is this that he's proven his medal? Where, where does he fit in? I know it's a kind of confusing question, but can he win Wimbledon and why? Well, well, well we keep, people keep mentioning his backhand is weak, but he's got a nasty slice on the backhand that can actually work okay on grass. And secondly, he doesn't hit that many backhands anyway. He, 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 he hits a big serve 
and he follows it up with a big back, big forehand. He, you know, I mean, I don't want to say literally, but I'm figuratively saying he doesn't hit backhands anyway. He mostly plays with his uh, serve and his forehand. And uh, it's very hard to get the ball to Berrettini's backhand. I mean, if, if, you're, if your number one goal when you're playing against Berrettini is to play his backhand, you're going to have a tough time because he's, he parks on that corner of the court. And, and he actually loves that shot where he has to move around and hit the forehand. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think on grass courts, this is why he's successful because there's less of a chance of the opponent getting the ball to his backhand to start with because they're, they're worried about returning his, his uh, gigantic serve. And then, then the next shot, they're worried about not, get, you know, not seeing the ball go five meters away from them on the next forehand. So where in that mix, you're going to worry about getting set, getting your feet set and, and, and targeting his backhand. You know, points last three, four shots at the most. And when he does, serve, okay, right? and, he, yeah, and, and, and on, on returns, yes, that's when, you know, that's where he's going to have to hit some backhands. But when he does have to hit backhands, it's not this weak floating, you know, backhand that just sits in the middle of the court for the opponent to hit away. It's this low, nasty slice that uh, that maybe bounces at the service line and the opponent has to be inside the baseline and hit the ball from their ankle level. It's not that easy. You know, Ash, Ash Barty made a living with her backhand hitting those slices on the women's side. And Roger Federer has for the long, longest time, you know, chipped that, chipped that backhand return low, short, and made people do uncomfortable things. And, uh, you know, Berrettini came, Berrettini's backhand does make the, his opponents do uncomfortable things. The problem is he can't come over the top very well, but how much does he have to use that here? You know, the, hardly. So sure. yes, I, you know, he's, he's got a chance. So, and he, so Andrew, you know, he, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I mean, this, I'm just putting. No, I was just going to add. I mean, he 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 took Djokovic to four sets in last year's final uh, with just serves and forehands. You know, hitting very few backhands. So and Djokovic is as precise as you get when you you know you want to pick on on, on an opponent's. Uh, weakness so he was able to find his backhand some but even he had trouble uh you know getting the ball consistently to his backhand sandra if you agree with what Mert said and there's no reason you shouldn't because Mert made a lot of good points but okay so let's get to the meat of the conversation has his game improved to beat a Djokovic or a nadal in a weekend to win wimbledon because that's where his name is being he's kind of a grass court elite with no federer and murray you know not where he used to be so that's the other question people want to know I'm sure they would want to know your views. Yeah, so um, does he have a puncher's chance? Yes. If he has to go through both of them, so if he um, has to play Nadal in the semis and, and Novak in a final, then that's that's such a huge ask. Um, but if if he has to beat one of them... Uh, you know, suppose that he, he plays Nadal in a semi-final... And then uh, let's say Hubert Hercatch. Let's say it's a Berrettini Hercatch uh, final. Would I, um, you know, give Berrettini a good chance of winning that? Yes, I would. Right. So one more question, Berrettini. Whoever wants to take it. So, Mario, you're absolutely right. But my thing is, uh, if you include other matches, I know we're talking cross, like the U.S. Open and Australian Open this year, when he lost to Rafa, and then French last year. He played Novak. So I'm not saying he's like uh, Isner, but my example is like the big three would always find Isner or like, you know, the big men like Raonic. They would move him around the box and they would expose their movement. 
Berrettini is not as big a guy, but my point is these guys will find a way to expose that backhand. And uh, something I think where Zverev and uh, Medvedev have improved. They haven't beaten these guys. Medvedev has, but you feel like they have a place they can zone in and stay with these guys. Berrettini, I feel in a four or five set match, these guys will find that backhand. I think you just summarized why Andrea and I picked Nadal and Djokovic so co- and we're so confident <laughs> in picking them the, the top two and only fa- and picking Bertin and Horkac as the two next batch because a lot of things have to go right for uh, for them to 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 beat the the two big guys here in the in in this tournament. Yes, you're right. You're right, Jackie. Okay, that's a big win for me. I feel better. So let's <laughs> look at the last section of this uh, draw. And uh, the name we all haven't spoken is uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. Of course, you know, he hasn't really done well at cross uh, in the past. He won a tournament uh, today beating Batista Agut. Uh, your views on his draw, if you guys have paid attention and how far, uh, you know, he can go. He's got a draw. So he, go ahead, Andrew. You go. You take this one. Well, so, you know, he's got a, a, a moderate draw. Kyrgios is in his section. Um, who knows what Nick will do? Um, you know, it's like that movie about the guys trying to get TNT across a, a mountain. <laughs> you know, you know, you never know when Kyrgios is going to to, to blow up on you. Uh, you've got Philip Krajinovic. You've got um, Denis Shapovalov, who's disappointed me uh, in, in the grass court. Shapovalov seems to be sort of a little bit in the wilderness at the moment and I would have hoped that he'd be further along uh, Bautista Agu is in the same section um, Sitsipas is another name that I pencil in but but I don't write his name in, in pen Mart, have you seen him play recently? I know you've been busy travelling uh, if you have a way on some of the progress you think he has made on grass, uh, is there any Sitsipas you mean? Yeah yeah, Sitsipas. No, no, I haven't seen Sitsipas play. But I, but, but I will say this, Krajinovic is the most dangerous player in that uh, section of the draw. He, he showed it at Queen's Club. And uh, that's, that'll be, I'm not sure that Kyrgios will make it past Krajinovic. Hmm. But, uh, but, if, but the winner of that, of that match, Krajinovic-Kyrgios, will challenge Sitsipas. And, uh, you know, the, with their serves, Sitsipas' returns. Uh, we'll see how where he stands after that match. If 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 Tsitsipas reaches quarterfinals from where he's coming, you know, possibly playing Kyrgios and Krajinovic, and then maybe Bautista Agut, and he and he and he passes those tests, then yes, then it'll be an interesting match to see him versus Berrettini. I think Tsitsipas. So I think Tsitsipas will have trouble in his third. The, the, the real test for him will be in his third round match if he makes it that far, assuming that. Uh, he gets to the third round. Fair enough. So, Andrew, I'll give you a chance to redeem your Nadal thing here. So, let's talk about the two-time champion uh, going for, you know, potentially for the first time coming in, having won both majors. The Grand Slam dream is alive. Uh, uh, has a draw. God's been kind to him. There's a certain Marit Chilet that you mentioned. And then uh, there's a the potential with the Felix Ojealiasim quarterfinal. They played a five-set at Roland Garros not too long ago. Break that... Uh, little matchup for us if that materializes and how far will Rafa go? Yeah, I, I, it, it, assuming that Nadal is fit uh, and I think that we'll 
we'll kind of get a, a sense of it, not really in the in the the first couple of rounds or so. I mean, even the third round, um, you know, he's the seed is Sonego, not really a, a, a major threat on grass, I think. Um, so you 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 then look ahead potentially to Marin Cilic, uh, Bodic van der Sandskulp is in the you know the potential fourth round opponent. Uh, I mean, if I'm a Nadal fan, I'm not quaking in my boots there, and I'm and I'm really not quaking in my boots at the the thought of having to play uh, Oje Aliassime either. I think Oje Aliassime. Suppose that that you have a Nadal Oje Aliassime quarterfinal, you might give Felix a fifteen to twenty percent chance, but I don't think unless all of a sudden someone's lit the blue touch paper underneath him that you're really, um, you know, calling that one a coin flip. Right. Well, so, Mart, anything on Nadal that uh, Andrew hasn't said? I think said? Andrew said... No, Andrew said the, very, the, the most important thing in the first three words, assuming he's okay physically, assuming he's healthy. I think that I'll, I'll say assuming he's healthy, comma, he'll go to the semifinals without much trouble, in my opinion. I feel and the I same way about him going to the semifinals as I did about uh, Djokovic. Well, even I want to flag this. You haven't been on the podcast. When Roland Garros draw came out, I know you were busy trying to get your player ready. And I asked you in one of our WhatsApp chats, and you said, if Nadal's healthy, I'm still going to pick him. And I thought, no, nah, this is not the way this year is looking. I thought Novak's going to win the whole thing. But you were right in the end. So just wanted to flag that out. So is uh, if you want to give predictions, who's winning this thing? Uh, if you guys want to, if you have decided that far. Rafa Nadal. Wimbledon uh, champion. Yeah, I'm going to, I, I would have Novak ahead of, of Rafa, I think, on this one. Um, but, um, you know, who knows? I, I don't, I don't know if I'd pick either of them as a greater than a, I, in fact, I know that I wouldn't pick either of them as a, as a greater than fifty percent chance to win the whole thing. So, uh, you know, I hope we have a bit of time to talk about the WTA uh, yeah. tournament at Wimbledon um, before the the Roland Garros uh, women's tournament. It was Igor Sviantek versus the field. I don't think that's the case on the women's side, although I'm very interested. In, you know, Mert is going to have a much more informed view than I have. But I don't think it's Novak versus the field. I don't think it's... I think it's Novak and Rafa versus the field, but I don't I don't think I, I have Novak as a 60% chance to win the whole thing. But I would... I He would be... The the player I would be least surprised to win the tournament. Let's put it that way. Fair enough. So let's switch gears to the WTA with Andrew's uh, uh, recollection of how you know we or he broke down the draw with Matt for Roland Garros. So Murray, do you have a short list for the women who can lift this trophy? I mean, the same exercise, or is it yeah. even shorter than the men? No, no, no. It's a little bit longer here. There, there are possibly <laughs> more names here, but. Uh, Shriantek is one of them. And um, I also have, uh, I also picked Bianca Andrescu. Again, assuming that she can remain healthy for seven matches, she has a chance 
for the title. Kvitova has a chance for the title, although my belief in her of women Wimbledon is less now than it was in the past few years. So, you know, because he she won twice Wimbledon, so we get this false impression that that's you know that's where she has the best chance. But since the second time she won in 2014, she's reached the second week of Wimbledon once only fourth round. And that was a fourth round. So I'm not sure that uh, she can do it. You know, if, if Wimbledon really is her best shot at winning another major at one point, but she's coming into the tournament in form. She, she just had a good tournament now. And uh, she, uh, she beat Haddad Maya who uh, who's been on a tear. So mm-hmm. she's coming, she's coming into Wimbledon in top form. So yes, I got her on my list also. And then I've got Angie Kerber possibly uh, as an as an outside chance, I do have Danielle Collins, Coco Golf, and Pliskova, and that is about where my list ends. Andrew, yeah, I had uh, Jessica Pagula as a a, a potential. Uh, she's she's just been so steady this year, and she's slated to to meet Sriantec if it goes according to seeding. Um, Sriantec last year got as far as she'd gotten, which was a fourth round at Wimbledon. Uh, Pagula was a third round uh, last year. Um, I I just look at the women's draw and I'm going to be about as... um, you know, boring or as controversial, whichever you want want to call it, with the with the the men's draw. If you get five or six of the players who are seeded to make the quarterfinals, I will not be surprised. In the women's draw, if you get more than three players who are seeded to make the quarterfinals, I will be surprised. I I just think that there's there's I don't I don't know if I call it depth in the women's field but there, there just continues to be less stability and so you know we've already mentioned Andrescu and Goff neither of whom are seeded to make the quarterfinals but uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised to see either, either player there and uh, you know Annette Contevate is, is the number two seed and you know she, she's, she's earned that on the ranking but I don't think that you'd have her, you know, high up there on on people who are likely grass court winners. I don't know what your feelings about Contevate, Mert. No, no, I agree with you, Andrew. I I, I like Contevate. She's one of my one of my favorite players to watch, actually. But uh, but you're right in this context, and and you take a player like Garbinia Muguruza, who's won this tournament once and reached the final another time, and I'm not sure that anybody would pick her. To, mm-hmm. to be in their top eight list either in this tournament. Agreed. And uh, I mean, there are, and, and there are some, there are three or four names who are completely unheard of and unseated in this tournament who can, who can make some noise in the first week. I mean, this is, a, this is actually a, a more exciting first week than a second week here, I, I mm-hmm. feel like. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for the women's draws first week. You know, there, 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 there are three or four, there's, for example, there's Sonny Kartal, British player, who's been on a tear for a year and a half. She, she, she was way low in the rankings, you know, uh, the 800s, 900s. And she, she, she started winning every ITF tournament she plays. She recently got selected to the British uh, Billie Jean King Cup team. And 
it's really di- discouraging to see that she may actually play Shriontek second round if she wins our first round. They gave her a wild card, deserved, deserved wild card. And uh, this, is a, this is a person who's now in the 200s only because she's won every tournament that she played. It's not like she played that many tournaments for a year and a half. And then you got some other players coming, coming in from the qualifying in top form. Uh, Jamie Forlis comes into this tournament from qualifying, having won, I think, 16 of her last 17 matches. But these are players that, uh, you know, that are, that are going to do, that could possibly make some noise in the first week. I, but, but we're talking about contenders here. So the, those are the seven or eight names that I could come up with. Yeah, and you've got the, the, the Brits are going to be cheering on Emma Raducanu, who I think comes on after Novak Djokovic plays his first rap match. And, and another player to watch is Katie Bolter. Uh, British player Katie Bolter. I mean, she could have. She she has an interesting draw. Sorry, Andrew, I cut you in the middle there. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was that uh, Raducanu, I think, plays Van Utevank in the in in her first round match. And if I were a betting man, I I'd, I'd bet on the Dutch woman rather than the um, the, the, the Brit. Yeah. All right, so another name is Serena Williams, right? She's back uh, on tour, played doubles last week with Ons Jabbar, had a few matches under her belt. Um, is it too hard to make a, a singles prediction on what you saw? The sample size is just doubles, two matches or three matches, Andrew, uh, for Serena? Yeah, they're, they're, they're entirely different events. Um, I, I, I would imagine that Serena is going to get a lot of love from the Wimbledon crowd uh, and I assume that she's going to to get past the first round but it's really hard to see someone going deep with Wimbledon being their their first tournament back for a very very long time um, um, you know if, if she did it, it would be kind of like McEnroe's run at the the US Open to the the semi-finals but and you know, Serena's won the tournament God knows how many times, so she knows how how to do it. It's just you know coming back and um, from from such a long time off, um, it's it's really hard to see her making it to the quarterfinals. Andrew, I think you're going to make some Jimmy Connors fans mad here. Uh, I oh. think you meant you meant Connors's run to the semifinals, not McEnroe's at the U.S. Open. Um, no? Yeah, which was the which was the tournament that McEnroe made the semifinals? Didn't he? Didn't McEnroe make it through to a through a semifinal? Played against Sampras, I'm thinking. Yeah, he did in 1990. Oh, he, yeah, 1990. That's right. This that's correct. No, no, never mind. I thought you were talking because that's you were talking about Connors' run to the semifinals at the age of what 39 or something. Okay. Yeah. No, you, but yeah, Serena is a is a complete question mark. You know, it's it's but. Uh, as great as she is, it's it's, it's well, you know it's it's, it's going to be really tough for her to uh, to um, I'd be I'd be impressed if Serena makes it to the second week here. But uh, then again, you never underestimate Serena Williams, so it's possible. Sure. You know there there are some, look there, there are some British women here who have a good chance to do well. You know the, I mentioned Bolter. There is um, uh, Jody Barrage who's coming in on top form. So mm-hmm. uh, I think this is a good opportunity for British women. And, 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 and also, um, 
That's right. Harriet Dart is playing. So, yeah, there are some good players here. Great. By the way, Raducanu, in my opinion, has a tough draw. Yes. You know, Andrew already mentioned the first round. Uh, if she wins, she may have to play Carolyn Garcia, who just played a good tournament on grass. And if she goes, if she wins, if she beats her and gets to the, uh, to the third round, she may have to play Madison Keys or Katie Swan, uh, the British player, but, or, or Madison Keys. And then if she wins, she's got Danielle Collins possibly in the fourth round. That's a, that's a really, really tough road. Before Madison she Keys withdrew today, she, right? To the quarters. Madison oh, that's Keys. right. She withdrew. Yeah, Never she mind. Withdrew. Yeah. Never mind. That's right. Abdominal problem. Okay. That completely. Yeah. So, okay. Let's take Keys out of the uh, equation. Uh, but still, I mean, she, that's, Redicon still has a tough road to the, to the quarterfinals. Sure. So, Mert, in the bottom section of this women's draw, I want your opinion on a couple of seeded players who've done, you know, reasonably well in the past and are making waves again. And one is uh, Belinda Bencic. And then there is, uh, you know, the shot maker, uh, Ostapenko. Uh, any views on how, how far these, these women can go? Yeah, Ostapenko has a, has a draw that's very uh, doable. In other words, if she goes... If, you know, if she plays, I don't want to say if she plays her best, because that's a cliche. You can say that about any player and they can go far if they play their best. But uh, if Fostapenko can play not even her best, but pretty close, she has a shot to make it to, to, to the quarterfinals. You know, Sakari is the, is the highest seed on, uh, on her side, and she would have to play her in the fourth round. That would be a great match if Fostapenko makes it that far. There is Janina Wickmeyer there. I can't believe she's back huh. playing again and she's in the main draw and she would, she would play Ostapenko in the second round if they both win. And uh, the referee should go there with about four cases of balls and because those balls will probably <laughs> explode after every other game. You know? So <laughs> that'll be an interesting match. So Maria yeah, Osta- is Ostapenko, a- Ostapenko has a chance. I think you asked about Bencic next. And uh, and I oh, yeah, feel the Benchich. same about Benchich. Yeah, I feel the same. Now she would, she may have to play Haddad Maya, who's uh, been on a tear uh, lately in the third round. But um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Benchich has a chance, definitely. I think I was Though, reading didn't, an article. Didn't Benchich just uh, didn't, didn't Benchich just retire from a match or withdraw from a match from an, because of an injury? Um, I don't no, want to say don't. the wrong thing here, but I um, I think she did. But it may not be just. It may not be the most recent tournament. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, I'll look very quickly. Go ahead. Sure. So, Andrew, I can bring you in. And then, uh, actually, this question for both of you, but you can start first. Maria Sakri is a name that we've talked about, along with Arena Sabalenka, players who've come close at making you know, uh, a lasting impression, which is winning the whole thing at a major. Uh, where, do you, uh, where do you see her game and her draw? Could she make a deep run here? Because uh, she came fairly close uh, last year's French Open, and uh, I was reading it, a pre-Wimbledon article, I forget where, what publication, she was listed as the third most intriguing player to watch. So I just wanted to like, you know, throw her name in there. Uh, general observations and mix it up with the draw. Talking about Maya? No, Maria Sakri. Oh, oh, Maria Sakri, sorry. Um, yeah, Sakri is someone who, on her day is you know potentially g- going to be able to beat anyone um i i saw her in one of the warm up tournaments and 
I wasn't convinced that that she fully adapted her game to grass, and I'm not sure how far she's gotten in the past at Wimbledon. Uh, I wouldn't be, you know, like Jabeur. So Benchich retired to Jabeur in the in the final of Berlin, I think. Am I am I getting that yes. right? Yes, you are right. Yeah. That's correct. She retired again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, doing a quick check on one of the the 15 electronic devices open over here um <laughs> so you know a, a a player uh you know one of the top seeds seeded to play against contivate if she makes it as far as the oh, quarter i'm sorry andrew yeah andrew let me interrupt you i'm sorry Thackeray ben- actually lost to benchage in the semi-finals in berlin Okay. Benchage retired in the finals. Is that what you is that what you yes. said? Okay, yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, lost to retired to Jabeur. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know the the thing about the 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 women's draws in the last few years, you know, one of the players who I think that we so if you if you think about some of the players who are out at the moment on the women's side, you've got Sabalenka, Kazatkina, Azarenka. Now, Azarenka is someone who I might have thought would would be up there in the mix. Uh, Kudamatova, Alexandrova, they're people who are out because of the the Russian Belarusian um, political situation. Naomi Osaka pulled out. Um, citing injury, possibly I don't know uh, on the, the the rankings point side of things as well. But the thing that that I I think that we were kind of expecting to see round about twenty twenty one or so is you would you would start to expect to see the same names. Now another player who isn't in the draw because she has retired from the sport is Ash Barty. And if Ash Barty had been in the, in the main draw, she'd be someone who I'd be saying, yeah, I could see her going to the semifinals and, 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 and beyond. So the, the thing about the women's tournament is there will be a player in the semifinals. I, I, you know, fearless prediction. There'll be a player in the semifinals who nobody will have said before the tournament, I expect to see X making that, making that stage. At least one player is going to be, wow, who foresaw, you know, it, it, it is, I uh, absolutely guarantee that, it, that you're not going to have uh, seven of the seeded players making the quarterfinal stage. The, the the top seeds and if it's anything like the again you you think about Roland Garros the 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 clay preparation season is a heck of a lot longer and deeper than the grass season so you know Alison Risk uh, we haven't mentioned her but she's got tremendous grass court form and she could she could be one of the players no, that's well said, and uh, let's see who that player will be, because the trend will continue. We've talked about it at length, that the men's semifinalists and quarterfinalists, even in the semi, if you take the big three uh, out, some other players have started making inroads, and there's some 
uh, representation there that's kind of like matching consistency. So that brings us to uh, Mert, another top player who wasn't exactly in the same rankings last year as Ons Jabor. Her rise has been kind of very impressive and she's gone from strength to strength. And she, like you said, uh, was victorious in a recent Glasgow tournament where Bencic couldn't finish the match. And uh, Jabour also withdrew, I think, Eastbourne in doubles with Serena for slight strain. Uh, what do you make of her chances and her draw? And you know, how impressed are you with her overall rise? Oh, I love Jabour's game. And I love Jabour as an individual too. And I think I echo the sentiments of uh, just about everyone as a tennis fan and her peers. You know, she's very much liked by her peers too. And, but the reason why I love Jabour is because of her game too. You know, she's, she's got this, uh, this versatile game that can work on, on many surfaces. And it's a very, very nice watch. And uh, when you've got a player that's as versatile and as talented as she is, the number one uh, riding force, the, one, the, the force that you have to get on top of and just keep riding it out, is confidence. And I think Jabir is bursting with confidence now. So, yes, she's uh, probably, I should have mentioned her in one of my, in my eight or nine uh, names that I picked. I should have probably put her in there now that I think about it. But, um, yeah, she, she's, she, she can do well here. She's got, the only thing about Jabir is I'm trying to find where she was on the draw because I got the draws right up here. Okay, so the, the thing about Jabir is, she doesn't, she doesn't have, I think she'll make the third round, but then she, the, the player that she has to watch out when she's playing against is some, somebody who hits the ball hard and knocks it out of the ballpark flat and doesn't give her time to use her skills. And uh, she might have to play Clara Towson, who, who can play that kind of game. So that's going to be a, you know, th- that'll be a challenge for her. But that's going to the third round. So I'd like to see how Jaber... The, or Karkanepi, possibly, that's right. That's another name that can that can do that too. So I first would like to see how Jabir does in the first two rounds. I expect her to win the first two rounds, but I'd like to see how well she wins. And I think by the time she reaches third round, if that's the case, we'll have a much better idea of how she can do against a better competition. Nice. And then the other name... Nobody's going to ask about... Nobody's going to ask about Simona Halep and Karolina Muchova first round matchup. Coming up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, 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 that's, the, you know, because I just noticed that. And uh, that's a wild first-round match if Muhova is healthy. Yeah, since you brought it up, let's talk about that matchup and Halep's chances. We might have skipped a section, but let's focus on Halep right now. Well, that's the section with Kvit- Kvitova and Georgi. And, uh, and that'll be a that's a tough section, but uh, but I think it's a as a first round matchup. That is a that is an that is a fascinating first round matchup. I I really do want to see that. And there's one other first round matchup that I'd like to mention, but it's not in that section. So if you want to remain with Hallett, we'll remain there. But uh, you know the Jamie Forlis that I mentioned might play the winner if she wins her first round. Might play the winner of Muhova and Halep. I'd like to see that. But then there's Georgia waiting third round. Uh, then, then there's Kvitova, and this is all these all these names are going to produce one quarterfinalist. Mm-hmm. So that's actually quite quite uh, uh, intriguing section of the draw, in my opinion. Well, that's quite the loaded section. So let's go back the to the other... section. We sorry, uh, quickly. Let's go back to the Coco Golf section that we skipped. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Coco Golf, 
and and Anisimova, Serena Williams lives there, and then all the way to you know we have Katie Bolter and Karolina Pliskova. So Andrew, your view on this little section? Yeah, it's a it, it's a hard one to pick. Um, I kind of like Goff. I think I just think that 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 she's putting things together now, and she's got um, I think a reasonable route uh, to the to the fourth round. I'm not sure if Anisimova is you know ready um to take what she does on onto the grass uh i could be made to look look a complete idiot there uh and you know it's the serena williams quarter uh uh carolina pliskova you know could be the player who's holding up the the trophy at the end of uh everything you know she's got the pedigree um but I, I, I don't know. I, I, would, I would pick Goff to come through there. Same here. I'd pick Goff to come through. I think Balter could, could make a splash in the first week in that section, but Goff ultimately is the one that I would pick too. She's got two second-week appearances already, Coco mm-hmm. Goff at Wimbledon, which is, which is quite amazing considering her age. You know, so. Yeah. All right, so let's move up the draw. Unless we miss something, we have discussed Halep uh, section all the way to Badosa. And then, yeah, let's bring to the top now, Jesse Pegula all the way to Iga Sviantek. So, Mert, uh, are there any names that can stop uh, Sviantek rise to the quarterfinals? I know you mentioned Bianca but, Andreescu. Yes, but the, the, that, would be, that would be the name that I would mention. But, of course, there's Pegula. And there's also Chin Wang Zhang. Who gave a very tough match to, <clears throat> to excuse me, to Shuantek at the French Open, but she would have to go all the way to the quarterfinals to face her, assuming yes. they both, you know, Shuantek makes it there. But uh, before the quarterfinals, Shuantek, um, I, I, I just don't see how, you know, Krejcikova and Teichman, uh, the winner of that would face Shuantek. Teichman has, should have a pretty good na- game to suit the surface. But um, then again, Shriotek has a good game that suits the surface also. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, people forget that Shriotek won Wimbledon Junior, Wimbledon Juniors. So it's, it's not a surface that she feels uh, like a stranger on. You've got another popcorn match in the Shriotek section in the first round. Yes. Which is Cornet against say it. Yes. And I swear we did not talk before the podcast again. Andrew <laughs> and I did not. I, I, if, no, I mean, if I mean that match WTA is Insider versus Cornet. Yeah. Yeah. If I know the WTA insider, Courtney Nguyen, I think that uh, she's sitting um, in whichever court that that match is scheduled with some popcorn and uh, is going to send out some uh, interesting tweets from that one. Yeah. That that match is one that you would, you know, some people say, well, I, I, I prefer watching tennis on TV because you got different, uh, you know, the broadcast quality is so good now, slow motion and everything. But no, that's a match that I would much rather see live right there in person. But uh, oh, well. All right. So I think we talked about all the potential big matches and key players. 
I don't think we have left out anyone. Even Daniel Collins was mentioned by Mert as someone who can, you know, go at least quarterfinals or beyond. So if we cut this exercise down, I mean, look at all the seeds and look at the names you both have shared. Who wins this thing on the Saturday, like, you know, two weeks from now? You know, you're, 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 you're back to eager versus the field. But <laughs> if, if you wanted me to bet more than, you know, a 30% probability that it's, it's Shriantek, you know, I, you know, she, she, she's kind of forgotten how to lose. And that's a tremendous quality to have as a player that, um, you know, Mert, you mentioned uh, the Chinese player uh, that she played uh, in Roland Garros, who took the, the set in a tiebreak against her. And, and I thought that Shriantek was you know, on the ropes a bit there, you know, might've been the fifth round of a contest, she but she was, she was on the ropes, you know, partly because she'd had so many chances to put the set away, hadn't done so and was down a set. So I, I guess, you know, injury and, and other discomfort came to Shriantek's rescue there. But one, it's that old line about Napoleon and the generals, you know, don't tell me if he's good, tell me if he's lucky. And, you know, sometimes as, as, a, as a top player, you know, you need to have uh, a little bit of luck to make it through. But when you think about how well adapted Shontek's game is for clay, again, she's, she's, she's a really well balanced tennis player, but she doesn't have the grass pedigree yet. Fast forward four years or so, and we might be talking you know, we might be talking about a number of players, but we'll likely be saying, well, Shriantek made the final in 2024 and she was a semi-finalist in 2023 and 2022. So, you know, she's one that you'd, you'd pencil in at the moment. So is there another player in the draw who is likelier to win it than Igor Shriantek? I would say no. Would I take more than a 30% bet that she's going to win it? Also no. It's a good way to break it down. I might just give my two cents. I have a feeling Hans Shabor is going to win this whole thing and along, hey. with Novak, along with Djokovic. That's my two cents. There you go. Yeah, that's that's a trick. Listen to two wise men. Sakib, and then, who, you know, do you have, of... who do you have in the in the semifinals on the on the men's side? Just just out of curiosity. Do you have the same four names with it or uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if Oji Alessim and Nadal play, I think uh, I would like to see that match unfold because, mm-hmm. uh, like Andrew said, like uh, Oji Alessim is a work in progress like Zverev. I also remember like he made US semis, but then he had a much better tournament in Australia when, uh, you know, he could have beaten Medvedev. So I think, and then he had a good tournament against Nadal and Roland Garros. I think he's he, he could surprise us. That's what I think. But then Nadal, on the other hand, has surprised us all so many times. So I think that's where I'm, I, I don't think it's a Djokovic Nadal final. I'll say okay. this much. Okay. And um, all right, so it's one hour, 26 minutes. We said 75 minutes. So before I let you both go, give me two minutes each on this new thing, which is not new, but it's been finalized by ATP that on court coaching is coming. So your time starts now, Mert, fire away. <laughs> Okay, the, the, this all comes down to, it's not the rule. It's not the no coaching rule that was the problem. It's the fact that it was not being enforced. And when you don't enforce a rule, 
then you, the rule looks bad. So you get to the point where you, okay, let's just take the rule out because nobody follows it, etc. But uh, the no coaching rule in its essence is actually a good one. And yes, I do agree with the classic view that once the players step onto the court, it's one against the other. And it should be that way. It's a, it's a more interesting because then the mental strength of one stands out more than the other if that's how they end up winning. So I, I agree with the classic view there. But seeing that the rule is not, has not been enforced for years and years, and uh, there's coaching going on at some level here and there, fine, you know, just just let it go, let it let the ATP do what the WTA already does now, which, by the way, doesn't lessen the burden of the umpire because now the umpire has to listen to what the coach says if it's something that the coach says or that uh, that may be offensive to the other player, or are they actually having a conversation, or is it just few phrases? You know, the, so the, the, the umpire's job is still not lesser than it was before. And it does put uh, the, the, the players who cannot afford a coach, uh, a coach at a disadvantage. That it does. Okay, so if we're talking about the group of players who have individual coaches, and when I say individual coaches, I'm not talking about coaches that six or seven players share, or a coach that comes once in a while, or the, to, no, I'm talking about, you know, players that get to enjoy a coach all year round, they'll, they will have a bit of an advantage over players that, that are just alone out there with no coach. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to echo what Mert said. Uh, I don't like it. Um, remarkably, the, the tennis authorities didn't consult me extensively beforehand and on what I do and don't like. So they've gone ahead with it anyway. Um, you, you know, you now can have players. Um, I mean, if you think Djokovic for a while was working with Craig Shaughnessy, who, who does the brain game tennis. And so you might have, you know, a top level player with three or four uh, people who are, you know, scanning the stats, etc., and and then able to to send a lot more subtle instructions to players than someone who's ranked uh, eighty in the world may be able to to get. Um, I think that you know, you if it was important to enforce the rule, you could have put a line judge or someone. You could have had a line judge who was asked to. Yeah. Um, you know, if seated near a player box, you could have had a line judge who was asked to to pay attention to audible coaching or, or other aspects of things. That if you've got someone whose main job is to look at the baseline or to look at the sideline, you know, you don't want them looking up at uh, Apostolos Sissipas um, instead of, you know, calling the line. But there, you, you, you could find ways of, being better at enforcing the rule than, than tennis has done. So we'll see, it's an experiment. And I, it, I think it's, they're, they're gonna take six months to a year or so and then revert and see what's happened. I hope it goes back to um, you know, one against one, uh, but we'll see. So like, like a lot of things in, in our modern world, as I enter my seventh decade, which actually I did a while ago, you know, I, I, I wouldn't do it this way, kind of like it the way it was, but the world always changes.
there is there is one thing that I didn't that I don't quite understand. Uh, j- j- just to be clear, you know, the WTA already has, has this rule in effect uh, at WTA the tournaments. They are doing coaches are doing what the ATP is going to experiment with, and it's working okay. I mean, it, you know, within the rules, it's working okay. But what I don't understand is I read in the ATP decision that the U.S. Open was also going to be played this way. Now on the women's side, you know that's that's not a WTA tournament. A, 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 a major is not considered a WTA tournament, so you cannot do that in the in the majors. So I don't know how they got the U.S. Open included in that package, which is not an ATP World Tour event. Where so the on, so the U.S. Open will have the men playing where the coaches can't say something, but the women can't. On the women's side, it's 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 a bit strange. I I guess I need to. Uh, that's why I'm kind of throwing it out there. I I don't know the the answer to that myself. Yeah, and, and just I would like to add this. Uh, a lot of people also see this like tennis fixing something, and I don't know like how many times you pay attention if coaching is in play on outside courts because I think the vantage point is always the center court or Philip Chatrier, right? We live through the stars. You know, you mentioned Sitsipas' dad or sometime it was, you know, the Nadal, you know, Uncle Tony was, you know, sometime his name came up. And, uh, you know, Sasha Zverev's dad, I think in Rome, was uh, caught coaching. So we always lived through the big names. So I don't know if this was such a pandemic in tennis, you know, where they could have fixed a few other things. I'm not a fan of this, but, uh, you know, like Andrew said, you know, we are consumers. They decide what to do and we'll consume. Uh, so this will be an ongoing topic, I'm sure, in many podcasts, but... I thank both Andrew and Mert being so generous with their time and being on a variety of topics. Wimbledon starts in what less than two days from now. Mert, you have coaching responsibilities. And Andrew, I'm sure the wife is back from UK. Uh, we can't take you for granted like me and Matt have in the past three weeks. We give you a two hours notice and you deliver. But thank you very much. It was always wonderful. We got a little excited. We all cut over each other. I'll do some editing, but this is a great podcast. And I hope learners take away some good tidbits as the championships begin on Monday. Thank you both. Thank Cheers. You, Bye, Saka. Nice to talk to you again, Murat. <laughs>